Good morning, people. My people. Um, half my life. Wow. Um, ten years is a long time. <laughs> um, I chose to use this chair as a share with you this morning, just so that we can all be seated together. Um, I'm not a spiritual authority, nor am I a preacher. Though I do believe my life is a testimony in how God is with me, how He is for me, and how God is working in and through me. So, as we begin this morning, I think it's fitting in this mini series of loving God and loving neighbor that we should greet one another. So, the neighbors that are sitting around us. Um, we haven't done this in a while, and I believe that we've done variations of this. Um, certainly, when I came 30 years ago, this was quite customary at Granville Chapel. It might have been done at the end of service. So, anyways, I invite, and I invite all of you to get up out of your seat uh, and greet someone beside you, behind you, in front of you. Move around if you want to greet someone. And for those who are online, please use the comment function and introduce yourself and type in a greeting. Wow, amazing. Okay, you can get back into your seats. Get back into your seats. Thank you. All right, let's, let's continue. Ah, wow, I didn't really expect this, but um, that's amazing. I see some of you, actually most of you, were really engaged. Um, some questions for you after this time of visiting with one another. Uh, with your neighbor. Did you learn something new? Was it awkward? <laughs> Were you comfortable? Were you energized or was it terrifying? And are you now drained and tired from this activity? <laughs> I think maybe it depended on who you were sitting beside and people, maybe people you knew or know, or maybe they're total strangers. Um, now, did any of you intentionally go to a stranger, someone you've never met before? Some, some of you have, did. Or did you default to someone you already knew? Maybe you're a contemplative and you desire to be still this morning, and so this really dis disrupted your expectations. For me personally, I find it awkward in this situation that I invited you into. Perhaps it's especially awkward if you're fairly new to the situation, to Granville Chapel, or maybe you're, you're more introverted. I think I'm on the more introverted side. Do some of you resonate with how sometimes I might feel? Tentative, sometimes isolated, often awkward and nervous and uncertain. This tension can be quite thick. And then a sigh of relief. 
when you're able to settle back into your chair and you just focus up front here. So it's difficult for me to navigate this kind of tension. On the one hand, I'm at ease with engaging with someone I know who is fully present with me. And on the other hand, I feel tension when I see out of the corner of my eye someone who is on the margins, someone that is tentative, or there's a person that I'm talking to that doesn't really seem interested in talking to me. Similarly, how do I see our neighbors who are often on the peripheral and not central to our everyday ordinary life? How do we make neighbors central to our everyday life, or at least a part of our life? And why should it matter? So my wife, Joan, and I took Jesus' command to love our neighbors seriously 10 years ago. And maybe it was out of obedience. Maybe it was because we heard stories of how in our city we can be so isolated from one another. And we were inspired by these stories and how others have engaged in simple activities and practices to get to know our neighbors. Jesus commands us to love him and love our neighbors, to be intentional. Why? So that we may live. In today's text from Luke, the teacher of the law asked Jesus how to inherit eternal life. Jesus asked him a question that he already knows the answer to. And he responds, love God and love neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Samaritan to address the teacher who is perhaps looking for a way out of loving his actual neighbor. The teacher perhaps loves God in theory, but not in practice. Isn't it enough to clang a cymbal or to be a noisy gong to show that we love God? But to go out of your way to love a neighbor? It's not convenient. I'll walk on the other side and ignore the brother in the ditch. In Matthew's passage, Jesus, God incarnate, embodied in flesh, responds in short order and distills the commandments of the law into two commandments love God and love neighbor. Then in Luke, Jesus says, by following these commandments, you shall live. It's the greatest commandment, commandment because I think it's instructions for a full and rich life for both our earthly and heavenly existence. It instructs us to live in right relationships with God and with each other. Loving your neighbor is not convenient as Jesus' story unfolds. So is there a slide that's supposed to come up there? There we go. Loving your neighbor is not convenient as Jesus' story unfolds. So there's a man, likely a Jew, left half dead in the ditch. He and the Samaritan are neighbors, but there was a mutual hate and fear between the two. So I imagine him half dead, floating in and out of consciousness. He sees the preach approaching him. Yes, someone will help me. 
my people, save me. Nah, not convenient. Temple is starting soon. Can't be late to bless God's people. A few, min- a few moments later, he regains consciousness. He sees a Levite. My people. This one will surely come and help me. Nope. Not convenient. Can't be late to receive the blessings. The man in the ditch gains consciousness one more time, but this time he sees the Samaritan. He's probably thinking, not my people. He'll walk on by and let me die here. The enemy, the stranger, bends down and shows kindness to him. Kindness is offered by the way, by, by the very one who he hates. The man in the ditch is likely confused. Where are my people? Is he my people? Rather than turning my attention to the Samaritan in the story, which we are all very familiar with and which teaches us about mercy, I'm going to take the perspective of the man in the ditch. What about this man in the ditch? He needs help and he receives kindness and goodness from the stranger. Why would the Samaritan be so attentive and present and kind? In recent years, I I identify more with the man in the ditch. He wants to live. And his chance for life is to allow his neighbor and enemy to help him. He has no choice but to trust this neighbor. Some might interpret the Samaritan, who is an outsider, a stranger in this story, as Jesus. So do you see Jesus in the stranger? Do you see Jesus in your neighbor? In the last couple of years, I've noticed my own transformation as I learned to love my neighbors. I get glimpses of Jesus in my neighbors, even newly met neighbors who are basically strangers. My neighbor, made in God's image, in some mysterious way, is offering me life, an enriched life. It's always been difficult for me to receive from others. And as Christians, we are wired to behave more like the good in the Samaritan by offering help and showing mercy. We are typically the service providers. But what about receiving from the other who may bring gifts or offerings of service that contribute to our welfare? There's many layers to why I might not be able to receive well. Pride, culture, power. When I engage with my neighbors, and in particular the ones that I've only met for the first time, I sometimes experience a joy, a lifting of the soul. It's inexplicable. Simple interactions with strangers, with ordinary random things, fills my heart. Sometimes I lose track of time when I'm engaged with them. Many years ago, a neighbor who I once viewed with distrust and indifference, I now consider a friend. He's someone who offers help when I have car troubles, or he surprises us with gifts at Christmas and has helped out in repairing our leaky garage roof. I'm no longer too prideful to ask for his help. 
He is truly delighted when I ask for his assistance. It offers him dignity and esteem, and there's a mutuality in these interactions. So I believe my own transformation in living a full life is connected to also receiving from my neighbors. Could it be that living a full life here on earth, being fully human, is inseparably linked to obtaining eternal life? These commandments, love God and love neighbor, deal with my sometimes dualistic mindset of separating the spirit and the material world. Jesus is pulling the two together. We are to love our neighbor, and in, do, in so doing, we are loving Jesus, who is at the right hand of God. Loving my neighbor molds me to be more Christ-like. Ilia Delio, a Franciscan sister, writes, we hermetically seal ourselves off from the undesired other, the stranger. And in doing so, we seal ourselves from God. By rejecting God in the neighbor, we reject the love that can heal us. Doesn't it seem contradictory that we would experience a deep connection, even a healing, with someone with no prior relationship? You would expect that from a good friend or a family member, but not a total stranger. In Mark Glanville's book, Refuge Reimagined, he references Leviticus 25, which says to treat your family as you would the stranger. Treat your family as you would the stranger. This passage subverts our notion of the presumed order of care with regards to family and strangers. If any of your kin fall into difficulty and become dependent on you, you shall support them. They shall live with you as those strangers. This presumed order of care is subverted. The stranger is the default or standard on how we're to treat people. Isn't this counter to our worldview? Jesus came into this world as a stranger, John 1, 10 to 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In her book, When Strangers Meet, Keel Stark shares studies about how people are more open and honest to strangers. They feel more understood by strangers. The important thing about these studies is just how significant these interactions can be, how this special form of closeness gives us something we need as much as we need our friends and our families. Levels of happiness hormones or endorphins increase when we nod or say hello to a stranger. It would seem that this research backs the notion that God's instruction for Israel can be transformative. Stark goes on to say, talking to people who are different from us can be radically transformative. It's the antidote to fear. 
talking to strangers an antidote to fear, really? I think with a curious posture, rather than one of judgment, I think we can approach strangers without fear. Curiosity helps us to engage with our unknown neighbors and dispel our fear of the stranger. But of course, let's keep using common sense when engaging or disengaging with people who legitimately pose a threat of some sort. I just want to try to dispel the idea of stranger danger in favor of kinship with strangers. Hebrew 13.2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing some, for, for by doing so, some have some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. This presence to our neighbor gives space for hospitality. The word hospitality originating from the Greek philozenia, meaning to care for and befriend the stranger. So I'm finding that when I open myself up to the other, to the stranger, I'm accepting the love of God. So how did I get to this place of being intentional to know my neighbors and to try to love them? Ten years ago, I realized that I was spending so much of my week involved in church activities, like Bible studies, prayer meetings, conferences. You can all fill in the blank. I had little time or energy left to know my neighbor. And so I'm not minimizing these practices and activities and gatherings. It's just a mystery and it's been a revelation to me that as I reorient my life into my neighborhood, I'm seeing how active the spirit is in the place I inhabit. I join the work that God is already doing, most of which are led and facilitated by neighbors who are not necessarily followers of Jesus, but who are made in his image. They have contributed to the working out of my salvation. And so there are many here at Granville Chapel that are doing this neighboring thing well. You're loving neighbors every, in your everyday ordinary moments, usually mundane and seemingly insignificant, whether you're tidying up the laneways, you're pausing to listen to a lonely elder, returning empty garbage bins back to your neighbor's yard, or you're hosting tea parties in your garden, or you're leading bird-watching expeditions around your block, lending out tools, and even your car, or welcoming newcomers into your home or into the social housing units nearby, and even saying hello as you walk by your neighbor's home. You are a servant of God in your neighborhood. And as you love your neighbors, I encourage you to see their, their gifts and how they can contribute to your own transformation. So this is Luo Ping, and he gave me permission to put up his picture. And he's here cheering on the runners at our marathon party earlier this year. He moved into one of the many new condos just a block from me, and he's always walking. I met him through his wife who participates in an outdoor Tai Chi group that I'm a part of at nearby Queen Elizabeth Park. 
<clears throat> he, he walks with his wife to the Tai Chi activity, and then he walks her back home again after his own routine of strolling through the park in the neighborhood. Luo Peng greets everyone on his walks with a hello, or ni hao, or zao sang hao. Did I nail that, Chinese speakers? I began a practice of routinely walking my neighborhood without earbuds, sunglasses, and being fully present years ago. I've slipped in and out of this practice over the years. So I'm thankful for La Ping's persistence in his simple greetings when he walks, reminding me of this practice that gets me outside where I can be known and also get to know my neighbors. This practice is not an add-on to my life. It's integrated into my life. More about Luo Ping. He greets the construction workers, the traffic flaggers, the park staff, the dog walkers, and the cyclists. His very limited English doesn't prevent him, doesn't prevent him from entering into a conversation with all these people. It's often awkward for him, but he's always making light of it. On our walks, there are often hand gestures, pantomimes, and many apologies as we try to communicate our thoughts to each other with a language barrier that exists. It's not convenient to communicate with him. It's hard and sometimes challenging. In these interactions, he's improving his English, and I'm adding a handful of Chinese words and phrases to my repertoire, and we're forming a friendship. I've introduced him as, I'm, as my neighbor to others, and one time he responded, or many times he's responded when I've done this, and said, Barry, I am your neighbor and your friend. Are you not my friend? <laughs> yes, I am. So I'm grateful for him and grateful for my neighbors and grateful for all the friendships that have been cultivated. Recently, he's joined Susan Robertson's English classes here at Granville Chapel, and he's enjoying it. It's, it's really been life-giving for me to see how he is refreshing the soul, the souls of those he meets in our neighborhood. He smiles, he waves, he converses. On some of our walks, he even asked me to take pictures of him as he poses alongside newly met neighbors. He has a whole camera roll full of these pictures of strangers with him. So many people know him in the neighborhood. He is present and he is faithful with his smile and his greetings. I'm sure it's challenging for him as he fumbles with his English or he uses gestures if the foreign words escapes him. Whether he, realize, whether he realizes it or not, he is transforming the lives of those around him, including mine. He is shaping the culture of our neighborhood to welcome in the stranger, though he is one of the newest members in our neighborhood. Another story about a neighbor, a mystery neighbor. I found a note, uh, this letter in our little book box at the front of our house a few years ago, and it reads, Dear stranger, Thank you for your roadside library and the old friend, a book found within. I found myself down in life. The toll is immense. 
I was losing parts of myself to who I am. However, my kid in a candy shop reaction to this library showed me that I'm still here. <clears throat> Just a homeless heroin addicted, addicted person of me. Thank you. Signed, Melissa. P.S. Your garden is also lovely. You're my kind of people. That was written on a torn page of a book lightly from the library. And there's so much truth to Melissa's words on that crumpled page. You're my kind of people. Though we don't know her or much about her, the truth is she is our kind of people as well. She is made in God's image. I'm her kind of people. Melissa, a hidden neighbor, a person with life challenges that many of us can't imagine. She discovered some childlike joy from her past. She may have taken great effort in her broken state to write to us about it. Though she remains a mystery neighbor, it was transformational for me to receive this letter. I've read her letters many times, often shedding tears for her brokenness and yet experiencing hope in her joy of finding a treasured book in front of our front yard in our front yard library. Karina Kreminski, a lecturer of missional studies in Australia writes, the local neighborhood is where we are most authentically ourselves. It is a place we can't hide because we are accountable to the people we live next to. Real transformation happens as we engage with and daily bump into people in the places where we live. And one final quote. In his book, Nazareth Manifesto, Samuel Wells, an Anglican priest, writes, Continue to see the face of Jesus in the despised and rejected of the world. You are not their benefactor. You are not their answer to their prayer. They are the answer to yours. You are searching for a salvation that only they can bring. Do not assume others will see Jesus' face in you. Go and expect to see Jesus' face in them. So let's pray. I'm going to read you a prayer that is adapted from Jessica Catola, a liturgical prayer. Um, she's a pastor of a missional community in the Shoreline neighborhood of Seattle. Um, I recited her prayer as part of a cohort for the leadership in the new parish several years ago. Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Trinity, triune God, you are here and present now with us. You have moved into all our neighborhoods. You have come to live among us to show us who you are and what you're like. Our neighbors encounter you through your people. We are your people, your body, your hands, and your feet. We encounter you through our neighbors made in your image. Your Holy Spirit guides us with our feet touching the ground as we walk our neighborhoods. May we be people of extravagant love, generosity, and kindness. May we love our neighbors more than our own comfort, 
Forgive us for our blindness and for the ways we feel to see our neighbors who are hurting, who are lonely, and who are desperate. May we give up our self-absorption and our distractions in favor of being present. May we see the abilities and talents of our neighbors and the resources of our neighborhood and receive them with humility so that we can be nurtured and sustained. For you are the provider of all things. May we see clearly that each interaction we have with our neighbors would be a tangible connection with you, who is the creator of all things. May love flow through our streets to every man, woman, and child. May love bring us together and heal all that divides us and all that afflicts us. May we be present to the place you have called us. May we use our creativity and imagination to deepen relationships with our neighbors. For you have made us creative beings and invite us to co-create with you so that all living things around us will flourish. May we join in your work of healing, restoration, and reconciliation for all of our neighborhoods, for our cities, for our world, for all of your creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen. <laughs>